Welcome, everybody, to Season Ticket Showcase, Episode 2. Today, we're talking Boston Red Sox. If you heard our first episode about the Philadelphia Eagles, we explained that we talked to longtime season ticket holders and asked them the good, the bad, and the ugly, high points, low points, where to eat, what to do, where not to go in terms of eating and what to do when you go to their cities as a road fan. And we're going to try to do it throughout North America when we finally get there. But this is kind of our five or six episode season zero, so you will find it on the Filibuster Freestyle feed, which is a longtime podcast. And today's guest is a longtime friend of that podcast, but also a longtime Red Sox season ticket holder, Andrew Patterson. I also did re-record this intro because... My wife and I recently had a baby, and it's tough for me to get to a proper studio these days. So we had to re-record the intro, at least to acknowledge the vocal quality and the recording. It's okay, but it could be better, and we know that. So we're dealing with what we got to do. But without further ado, here comes the theme song from Jobber Low and Andrew Patterson talking Boston Red Sox. Highs and lows, wins and losses, it's been unbelievable. Bringing me joy and bringing me pain. They've taken years off my life. That's the deal we made. You're bringing me joy. You're bringing me pain. Yeah, yeah. But every time I give up on them, they pull me back in. All right, as promised, longtime friend of the pod, and longtime friend in real life, and longtime Red Sox season ticket holder, Andrew Patterson joins us to talk Red Sox on episode number two of Season Ticket Showcase. Andrew, welcome back to, to the pod, but welcome to the new pod, too. Oh, uh, very excited to be here. Very excited to be talking Red Sox. Uh, Gab, as you know, um, and maybe listeners do not, I, I am the owner of exactly one tattoo. You are. I was there the day you got it. Boston Red Sox B, and in fact, you are an integral part of the story as to how I got that tattoo. It was the year... 2000, I uh, was not working that day, and I got a call on my apartment phone, because it's the day before cell phones, mm-hmm. and Gavin, uh, I believe you said to me, hey, do you want to go get tattoos today? Uh, I said, uh, sure, <laughs> and we drove down to Providence because tattoos were illegal in Massachusetts at the time, or at least getting a tattoo in Massachusetts was illegal at the time, and we drove down to Providence, and... Um, I said to the guy, just give me the Red Sox B, and 20 minutes later, I walked out of the tattoo parlor with the Red Sox B on my back. And I'll tell you what, that story is not only 100% accurate, but also, that tattoo still holds up. So good on you. It does. I mean, out of all of the times you could get a call at 9 in the morning, hey, do you want to get a tattoo? I knew that no matter how long down the line, the Red Sox B would hold up in terms of meaning in my life. There you go. Fantastic. So speak, uh, go ahead. The two people involved in that story, I'm not so sure you can answer similarly, Gavin. No, uh, I will leave it at this because this is not a Tattoos I Got in 2000 podcast, but yeah. of the things you could get in the ni- late 90s, early 2000s, there were barbed wire tattoos, tribal tattoos, and Asian caricature tattoos, and I did one of those three. I still stand by it in the moment. I'm just glad it's small and that I can cover it up at most times. You did the best of those three, by far. By far the best of those three. Agreed. Agreed. So anyway, the other good thing is that it means truth in the language that it's in, and Paul Pierce is the truth. So I didn't know that at the time, but I can at least, when people are like, oh, for Paul Pierce, and I can be like, well, no, but but I guess so. (laughs) 
Yeah, and if you need to edit this out for the uh, for the Celtics pod when you do this, feel free to edit this part of the conversation out for that and just edit in a little. It's a Paul Pierce tattoo. It's definitely a Paul Pierce tattoo. No, either way, we're talking about the Red Sox so close enough, and we talk about meaning in your life with your tattoo. Let's start with the meat and the bone. Red Sox championship that means the most to you besides the next one, which obviously is not a fair answer. Um, yeah, right. Well, this is also the easiest question you could ask any Red Sox fan Correct. of all time. And it's 2004. And the, the beauty of being a Red Sox fan too, Gavin, is that kind of are adopted into the history, right? And so I think even young Red Sox fans know that 04 fans, kids who were not fans of the team at the time, kids who weren't alive at the time, know that 04 is an incredibly special team. I mean, and it gets shoved in their face a lot too. I mean, you see... Big Poppy, you see uh, Pedro, you see even Kurt Schilling. All of these guys still have this aura in, 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 within the Red Sox. I mean, Kevin Millar and Kevin Euclid are, are, have been brought back to do color commentary for the Red Sox this year. It is not just meaningful Red Sox championships. It is, I think, for like a, a lot of hardcore Red Sox fans, probably one of the more meaningful things in their life. Now, some people want to say that's sad. I guess. I guess maybe they have a slight argument, but it's 2004. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, um, we could do an entire podcast on what 2004 meant to meant to me, meant to you as Red Sox fans. That's that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I don't think there's any. There's no other way to put it, especially on the heels of the biggest rivalry of the Red Sox, for Red Sox fans, not for Yankees fans at the time because it was one-sided, was the Yankees won four championships in five years and then beat the Red Sox in dramatic fashion in 03. And I don't think anybody felt any darker about their terminal case of Red Sox blues than Red Sox fans going down 3-0 in the ALCS again in 2004. And to then be the only team in the history of Major League Baseball to come back from 03 to win the ALCS. And then the afterthought was to actually win the World Series for the first time in almost 90 years. Yeah, you'll never top that, at least not in our lifetime. No, you, you, you can't. And it is one of those things that if you didn't live it, you, you wouldn't believe it. It is mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's Hollywood garbage. In fact, it's literally Hollywood garbage because Beaver Pitch filmed and completely changed the ending of their movie mm-hmm. when it happened. That's right. Shut and up. Yeah, um, yeah. that is a terrible movie. Look, I mean, it's it's just, it's written, Gavin. It, it, was, it was written. Totally. It is a special moment. Yeah. And I think anybody who watches sport at all even though Red Sox fans and Boston fans in general have gone from lovable losers to the heels in, in most of their respective sports, um, anybody who was around before that time respects that. Fair, very fair. All right, let's talk about this. Celebrity fan of your team that you are especially embarrassed by being a fan of your team. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> that, they, all of them. Uh it is, it, it's marketable to be a Red Sox fan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is these jabronis from Boston who make their entire celebrity being out of being from Boston. And look at me, I'm, I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm just, I'm this. Um, it's garbage. Celebrities, 
I mean, that, that's a whole other thing, but I think this is something people from Boston will come together on. Celebrities aren't better than you and me. Uh, you're not a bigger Red Sox fan than me, Ben Affleck. You're not a bigger Red Sox fan than me, Matt Damon. Uh, don't shove it in my face. Shut up. Watch the game and, and root for the sport. Wow. There is one, one small exception to this. What do you got? Lil Wayne. Little Wayne. So there you go. That was my next question was, do you have anybody you're proud of? Give me the Little Wayne. Well, I mean, Lil Wayne, if you do, you, he's got four teams that he is a hardcore fan of. And it is quite the list. He roots for the Boston Red Sox. In basketball, his team is the LA Lakers. Okay. In football, it is the Green Bay Packers. And in hockey, is the Boston Bruins. Really? Um, it is a bizarre assortment of I do not know how Lil Wayne became fans of each of these teams but it is not like a fashionable thing if you if you ever go on his Twitter if any of those teams maybe not every game but when those teams are playing important games Lil Wayne is giving them a patented Lil Wayne treatment on his Twitter and it is uh, amazing okay so that's something that I myself like I knew about the Red Sox thing, I did not know about the Bruins thing. I was today yeah. I was today years old. So I'm very excited. I'm also very curious to see if Lil Wayne happens to be a season ticket holder for any of those four teams. I guess it sounds Red Sox because you're doing it, but um because waxing poetic with Lil Wayne about the Green Bay Packers would be a dream come true for pretty much everybody involved. It would be. Besides Lil yeah, Wayne. No, that would be that would be that would be the pod to end all pod. That would be uh, that would be that would go in a museum. A million percent. So Lil Wayne, if, if this gets to you, open invite for any of your other three teams. Because honestly, if I got to talk Lakers with somebody, I might as well do it with you because at least you're a Red Sox and Bruins fan. All right, that's amazing. And, and, and also, Lil Wayne, one more thing. Hmm. Go Sox. Go Sox. <laughs> Phenomenal. All right, let's talk about – that's great. So other pro teams in the area – Red Sox, and again, a lot of Red Sox fans are Boston fans through and through, and there is a hierarchy, and not everybody feels the same way about who's where, but are there any local teams that you feel Red Sox fans are least likely to like if you had to pick one? You know, Boston is Boston, yeah. um, and Boston fans are Boston fans. It is a fiercely loyal town. It is a uh, protective town. Yeah. These are your teams. Um so I think any answer I give to you that is, is my personal one. You can go to Red Sox games and you'll see plenty of uh, Patriots jerseys. Go to Red Sox game, you'll see uh, some someone in a Celtics jersey. You yeah. go to a Red Sox game, you see Bruins stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not the Revolution, but I don't know if we count the Revolution. You know, no, you know what's funny is is that's exactly we had a pod yesterday with Dan Ruddle, Philadelphia Eagles, and he had he had to go with the Philadelphia Union, the MLS team too. So. You know, that's good. I mean, Boston and Philly are, are, are similar cities. For, for sure. For sure. And honestly, the Eagles, not to get into the other team here, but the Eagles are the institution in, in Boston, despite all the Patriots' success and all the Celtics' success and the Bruins' somewhat success relative to those two, the, the, the Red Sox are the generational team that everybody's great-grandparent liked. You know? And so, yes. so it's very similar. But anyway, let me get to this one. Besides the Yankees, because the answer is the Yankees, yeah. Any other teams that stick out to you as Red Sox fans or yourself or certain, you know, it could be era-based as well, but 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 our teams outside of Boston that Red Sox fans really don't like. And I think we all know about the Yankees, so let's let's is there anybody else besides the lifelong feud between the Yankees and the Red Sox? 
I think one that might surprise people not in Boston is the race. Tampa Bay race, totally. I think most of the country, including Tampa Bay, uh, does not care about the Tampa Bay race. And it is a bizarre, it is a weird rivalry, and it is almost one-sided in a weird way, but not because Tampa Bay is that much better than us. It's only because Tampa Bay is filled with terrible sports fans. Yeah, the Rays. The Rays are a god-awful franchise. They're run by idiots. They uh, perform in front of idiots. Their stadium sucks. The players they have, you know, will be good for a few years until they find some way to trade them for their next crop of good young players. But the Rays are a garbage franchise, and it's a garbage city, and um, they're for garbage people. Wow. Okay. So just so we all know, folks, this is a... You all came here thinking you were going to hear a bunch of Sweet Caroline and a bunch of Yankees suck, and you just got run over by the We Hate the Rays roller coaster, and that's what we're going for, deep cuts. Andrew, I didn't ask you this question at the top. How long have you and your family had Red Sox season tickets? Uh, 87, the year after um, the World Series. That was 86. Um, And, you know, I think... Red Sox fandom has changed o- over the years. It's become more corporate, right? Yeah, sure. But And I maybe part of it is because we became season ticket holders the next year, but even as a seven-year-old for a long time, 86 held a lot of pain for me. And I don't know if you remember this. I had stark memories of watching the 1986 World Series as a kid. Um, and burned into my psyche for so much of my youth was Shea Stadium. Yes, sitting behind home plate to the left, uh, a woman who rolled her hands. I I wish I could do the motion for, I'm doing the motion right now as I'm telling you it, but it was, she was rolling her hands. I think anybody who watched the 86 World Series as a Red Sox fan will remember this, over and over, like in a circular fashion throughout entire games at Chase Stadium. Okay. Um, And I despise this woman for so much of my life, really until I was able to let go a lot of us in 2004. But, yeah, so the year after that, we became season ticket holders. Um, I never once rolled my hands over and over and over each other, but I've been going since then, several times a year. Yeah, and you were born in, what, 79? So basically... 79. Yeah, yeah. so seven, eight years old, you have vivid memories of the Shea Stadium, that lady with her hands in 1986, and then the next year, you're... You're a part of a season ticket holding family, and that was now 35 years ago. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Okay, let me ask you this, and this this might actually be uh, you know sublime or uh, serendipitous in terms of what you just brought up. Which game for most Red Sox fans is the game that got away? Uh, I like I told you, when you become a Red Sox fan, you you you're brought into the history of it. Yep. You, you, so I wasn't alive for Bucky Dent. Yeah. But Bucky Dent is a game that hurts me. Uh, Bill Buckner, obviously, yes. is a game that, that pains me. But I do think uh, nothing tops Aaron Boone's game of 2003. Yeah, 2003 ALCS, yep. No, that was, uh, I, I, that game obviously was at Yankee Stadium, so I was not there for it, but I watched the game with my, with my father. I, I went through most of that run watching games with my dad. And as he likes to tell the story, Aaron Boone made contact and I got up and was probably, I was living at home at the time and we were watching the game 
downstairs and um Aaron Boone made contact and my father claims to this day that I was probably in bed by the time the ball landed in the stands. <laughs> I did not say a word. I stood up from the couch and left and went up to my room and I don't think I talked about the Red Sox for a week. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh interesting time, you know, again, for you and I to make it a micro segment. When you're in your early twenties, you're just out of college, your teams haven't been good since you were a kid or ever in some cases, that's a tough one. Yeah. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a brutal one, right? Um, and, and I think there's probably a lot of people who will tell you that were probably a similar age at 86 for Buckner that it was the same. But Buckner's game didn't end the series. True, um, true. They could have come back and won and the next night. Right. Aaron Boone's game ended yeah, the series. It was a walk-off. just don't get any more painful than that. Yeah, it was a walk-off, 100%. Let me ask you this. Game that means the most or was the most fun, whatever, that wasn't a championship win? Um, it, it's game seven of 04. It's the next year. And, and that might be cheating a little bit yeah. because it, it, it led to an eventual championship No, that's game. okay because it wasn't the actual World Series clincher, so I think it's totally, totally eligible. And that game probably means more than game four of the World Series that year in many ways. Agreed. That was probably like being the kid and getting your ass kicked by the bully. Every day in elementary school, <laughs> just going to school, and he's taking your lunch, and he's punching you, and there's nothing you can do about it, and everybody knows it, and everybody watches it happen, and they're kind of rooting for you, but there's nothing they can do for you. They're just like, he's going to keep taking your lunch for me. And then you get to middle school, and you hit a growth spurt, and you walk in the first day of sixth grade, and he comes to you, and he wants to take your lunch money, and you just clock him. Yeah. And he falls down, and you take his goddamn lunch money. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's a great analogy. That was it. That yeah. was it. There's a lot of other games since then that have been fun. There's a lot of other things that, I mean, even now, like my voice will catch if I talk about it. That was 86 years of pent up frustration just coming out in, in a. Uh, Beautiful win. I mean, again, they won eight straight games. They beat, they were down 0-3 to the Yankees, and they never lost again. That's amazing. Yeah. Best uniform combo, Red Sox style? I mean, you know, what do you got? It's the home whites. Yeah. It's the home whites with no name on the back. And if you ever, like, the worst thing that you can do as a Red Sox fan, and if you are a Red Sox fan listening to this and you own a jersey like this, what you need to do right now is go out, get yourself a solo stove, or just start a, p- a fire in your backyard and take this shirt and, and toss it in there. If you have a white home Red Sox jersey with a name on the back, burn it. Sacrilege. Burn it. Yeah. Uh, it's terrible. But that is, it's crisp, it's clean. I would never own one because it would last all of, with my eating habits, it would last all of about 45 seconds before it had uh, some sort of stain on it. Yeah. The, the, the Red Sox home white, no name on the back. Give me number nine. Yeah, Ted Williams. We're there. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, Which former player, coach, or owner of your team is most despised by Red Sox fans? So this was a tough one to think of because a lot of guys that eventually came to mind have been forgiven. Mm. Um, Roger Clemens was on the broadcast the other night. He was in the booth. It could have been Clemens, but Clemens has mostly been forgiven. 
it could be Boggs, but Boggs has really been mostly forgiven. Yeah. Um, winning 04 changed changed it all. And it's hard to maybe describe that to somebody who who isn't a not even want to say not a Red Sox fan, because there are other sports faces that have suffered for a long time and then turned it around, right? But if you are a Yankees fan who, who who's won a lot or is used to it, like it's easier to hold grudges against guys who left. Yeah. Um, but when we won, a lot of those grudges just fell away. Why do I care about Roger Clemens when all I wanted was World Series? Why do I care about Wade Boggs when all I wanted was World Series? I got, I got four of them. So uh, my answer is Bobby Valentine. Nice. Because he is an idiot. And <laughs> everybody who watches the Red Sox knew as soon as he got hired what are they hiring this idiot for? And he's, he doesn't embrace the heel role. He has this defense for himself that he thinks he is not an idiot and that he thinks he is this misunderstood or un, mis, dis, disrespected important figure in, in, in Red Sox lore. And he's, he's just an idiot. Can I make a, uh, uh, I, an ad- I would be happy if I never heard that man's name again. Let me, let me, Make one one addendum. The only good thing he ever did, in my opinion, is wear a, a poor disguise to come back into a Mets game after he was kicked out. Yeah. But that also shows you that he thinks he's playing four-dimensional chess when he's actually playing three-dimensional checkers. Correct. So anyway, that sums up Bobby Valentine, and I appreciate your creativity on the answer. Let's flip uh, it. Do you know, can, I give a, can I give a B answer? Yeah. And, and it might be, uh, you know, I, I guess you have to add R.I.P. after it, but Don Zimmer. Don Zimmer? Don Zimmer, who was a manager here for years, and then um, bull-charged Pedro Martinez and got entire Yankees, see, uh, all these Yankee fans, and say, oh, look at Pedro attacking a poor old man, when Don Zimmer deserved not only everything Pedro did to him, but probably more. There you go. That's how you. That's how you. You know. That's gets good. That's how you get the Yankees rivalry in there. I like it. And yeah, Zimmer did did work for the Red Sox. I think. I think twice at least. So yeah. Let's go the other way, and the answer won't be Don Zimmer. But who is a like a role player type that is ira- irrationally loved by the fan base? So can't be like a Hall of Famer. Can't be. You know. Can't be Ted Williams. Can't be Yaz. Can't be Jim Rice. They're yeah. too good. This is Red Sox specialty, Gavin. I mean, this is Red Sox fan specialty, and it has been for years. You, you pick a year, and I'm not going to be able to do it off the top of my head, but you pick an era, and there will be guys who are on that team during that era that people in Boston just irrationally loved. Um, and, and still do to this day. Like, look at Trot Nixon's name. Trot Nixon, he's an okay ball player. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't, he, he's not as good in, as people around here will want to swear he is. And then if you just listen to sports radio here half the time in the middle of the Reds, in the middle of summer, when there's no other sport going on and the Red Sox are hanging around and they're maybe missing a piece or two, or maybe they're even going to give up and they, 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 people want them to trade for a young up-and-coming prospect, sports radio will be inundated with calls about whatever small role bench player the Red Sox have and how come he's not netting them the most valuable trade ship in, in baseball at the time. How come you're not trading Troy O'Leary? <laughs> that guy's going to get you a ton! You know? Lee Tinsley, uh, Tom Bernanski. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
That's fair. You're right. I mean, I'm just trying to think of... Um, I mean, I, here's the thing, and this happens in so many fan bases, but, I mean, Johnny Pesky has his number retired, and he... That's the best answer. Right? Like, You're right. His number was retired. He was not a Hall of Fame player, and frankly, he was known for an, basically a mental era in the 1947 World Series, and then he just never stopped coming to work, and then eventually they retired his number. He's got a pesky pole. Like, I mean, Do you know how many home runs Johnny Pesky hit over the course of his career? He's got pesky pole, which makes you think that all he did was wrap home runs around around pesky pole. Right. I think Johnny Pesky has like 15 career home runs. Correct. And he's got a pole in after him, and he's got his number retired, and he was yeah. not a Hall of Fame player. And again, his best playing moment best known playing moment was unfortunately holding a ball when he should have thrown it in a World Series that was 80 years ago or 75 years ago. Do you know, do you know who Johnny Pesky is? Johnny Pesky is Creed Bratton. From the, from, the uh, office. from the office? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is, like you said, he's just this guy that just kept showing up to work. Nobody really knew what he did. He becomes Johnny Pesky is Mr. Red Sox. Why is Johnny Pesky Mr. Red Sox? He played for him for like eight years. Right. Well, thank goodness that Jerry Remy came along and like usurped that and rest in peace to him as well. But I think Remy's another example, though. And again, he, he was a good player, a really good player. But he became a Hall of Fame broadcaster and he became literally the president of Red Sox Nation when they started their like pink hat fan club. Um, yeah. You know, back in the aughts, the late aughts. So anyway, good stuff there. Um, let me ask you this. Besides... Yankees suck, which doesn't really deserve any airtime. Any chants or cheers that's original and good coming out of Fenway Park over the course of your uh, time as a season ticket holder? I mean, every I, I think there's uh, a few teams in every sport that have a let's go that just fits. Do you know what I mean? And let's go Red Sox is a real natural flow. True. Um, and that's it. But I will tell you, having worn, not a lot, but having worn Sox gear in other cities, which is one thing I think Every Red Sox fan does. That's from Boston. If you are going to travel anywhere, even if it is the dead of winter and there's no baseball to be played, you will make sure you are grabbing your Red Sox gear and you are wearing it. You will hear, whether it's from a passing car, somebody in the street, walking into a bar, you will hear, go Sox. Mm -hmm. That's true. Even from people who don't have anything close to resembling an accent, they will throw on their best accent just to yell, Go socks. That's true. At somebody wearing Red Sox gear if you were not in Boston. Yeah. And sometimes even if you are. Yeah. And by the way, just so you all know, after the 2004 World Series, Andrew took that to heart and wore his Red Sox gear in New York City. And he and I passed Spike Lee on the street. And Spike Lee looked at Andrew's shirt and he just knew he had nothing to say. Yeah, I mean, mug Spike Lee. I mean, that is one of my claims to fame is that I was able to, I need mug Spike Lee and got away with it. Yeah, because it was 04. I think it was November of 04. You and I were in New York City together, and uh, you definitely were, that definitely happened on Lexington Avenue. It definitely happened. Yeah, and I also, I mean, part of it I was wearing Red Sox gear, but the other part of it is uh, I'm not a big guy, but I've got about 10 inches on Spike Lee. Fair. That's he, fair. Is, he is a little man. Yeah, not, not a tall guy. Exactly. No. Not a tall guy. All right, let's go with a couple more here. Alcoholic beverage that's synonymous with the team of the town? Hey, it's beer. <laughs> yeah, I it's, think. It's beer. <laughs> Fair. Personal, personal story to this, I will tell you. Uh, how much beer means to being a Red Sox fan. 
being a season ticket holder, I would go to all these Red Sox games with my dad, and he would always get beer. And um, as a kid, I was always like, well, I want a beer. Like, every, everybody in the park is sitting here drinking beer. It felt like, except for you, even though there's plenty of other kids not sitting there drinking beer. Uh, and my dad would get, you know, Miller Lite. And we were sitting watching a game one time, and I was about nine years old. And I, I had been bugging my dad to let me drink, sip his beer for years. Yep. Dad, give me a sip. Dad, it's hot. I'm thirsty. Can I have? And so finally he wants to shut me up. And that's his version of the story. Is he thinks he's going to give me some beer. I'm going to taste it and be like, this is garbage. And finally shut up and stop bugging him for taste for, 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 for his beer. So we're sitting there. Dad, can I have a beer? And he's fine. like, all right, fine. You can have a sip. And he passes me the beer. And I took, I took it. I took a huge swig put the beer down, I passed it back to him. And as he tells the story, I looked at him with glowing eyes and said, that is the best thing I have ever tasted in my life. Fantastic. Um, and for years, I was, uh, my father would um, funnel me beer. At, well, not funnel, because that's the, that's the wrong word, but would sneak me beer at, at Red Sox games. A, a, it's weird to say, but a big memory of my childhood is sitting in by the third base side at Fenway Park on a hot summer day enjoying a Miller Lite with my dad. Phenomenal. <laughs> Do not try this at home, folks, but that's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, no, I would not recommend uh, doing that with Charlotte. No, 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 of course not. No, she's she's just, she's strictly, uh, yeah, she's not there yet. But that's great. It's a great story. And it is a real, it's a, it's a great place to have a beer and watch a game. It really is. Um, it really is. All right, let's get into the real nitty-gritty here. I'm going to go with I got two more for you that I think are worth getting into and then anything that I miss you can bring up. But it's really tough to do this, but the Mount Rushmore for the Red Sox. You're putting four entities, don't have to be players, but most likely players, that you're, yeah. gonna, that you're putting up there as like the, this, is a, this is the de facto Mount Rushmore of the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, Ted Williams, Carl Yastrzemski, Pedro Martinez, David Ortiz. It's not hard. Boom, okay. Did you? So it's not hard. Do you? Do you have you a two? You need two guys from before they won. You need two guys from after they become a winning World Series. I like after it. They become a World Series team. I like it. I like it. And uh, that's great. That's actually great. So, and there's been so many good players, but I like it. So you're saying Pedro, David Mar, David Ortiz, excuse me. Pedro and Poppy are your are your championship era guys. Yep. And Williams and Yaz are your long suffering era guys. Totally. And, and I would say, yeah, and, and that's that's absolutely right in terms of. I love it. That was great. So let's let's get into this. Uh, and you brought this. We, we talked about Jerry Remy, who obviously became an absolutely beloved and storied broadcaster here. The cool thing about baseball versus, say, NFL football is you get local TV people and local radio people in terms of calling the games every night. And they're with you 162-plus nights a year if you make the playoffs. So they become a bit of like your family routine. So who sticks out to you as Red Sox play-by-play or color analysts over the years that the fans love and anybody that the fans despise or can't stand or were glad they were done or whatever? Remy and Orsillo. You will never you will never get another team like Remy and Orsillo. Yep. And I think Dave O'Brien is probably unfairly, I don't know if despised is the right word, but he carries a lot of animosity from how the Red Sox, um, who really corporatized their team in a terrible way, which is a, a pod for another day. Yeah, uh, that's not a celebratory Red Sox podcast. That is a um, I hate John Henry podcast, which we don't need to get into. But Orsillo and Remy were um, just 
like watching games with two of your with, with a couple of your best friends. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, they were fantastic, and they were probably the best in baseball for those years. I mean, not even probably. They were the best in baseball for those years. I mean, Pizza Pizza Gate, which all you have to say, anybody who watches baseball, say Pizza Gate. By the way, I do work with or have worked with one of the guys from Pizza Gate, an integral figure in Pizza Gate. That's right. But they took that incident and turned it into this national moment. Correct. I think Red Sox fans have never gotten over what happened with Ursulo, and you know O'Brien's not the most fun guy to listen to. To me, he's he, he's a great national announcer. He, he he kind of misses some of that local flavor that I wish he had. Yeah. Um, but he's not bad in terms of terrible announcers. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know that they have them. I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of the the Red Sox radio team. They're they're easy to avoid. Yeah. Okay. One last question because this actually is a question you brought up. Uh, and this is this is funny because this is kind of that weird double-edged sword relationship that Red Sox fans do have with ownership since they took it over, you know, in the late '90s or whenever it was, which is they've improved the team in, in terms of winning championships versus not, and they've improved yeah. the the revenue stream and the spectator experience. So. How about, before we go, changes to Fenway Park, you know, kind of during the, the current ownership group's uh, tenure that have been improvements, I guess, for you? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it is the changes around Fenway that mm. are harder to take. That's if true. If you went to Fenway in 1988 and then didn't go again until right now, you would not recognize the area. That's fair. It, it is completely different spot I mean uh, I rem- when I was a kid my parents probably when I was far too young allowed me and my friends to like you know be- we had two tickets so me and a friend would go in to Red Sox games alone a lot of like the great flavor of like where you would go baseball tavern for a game um, it's gone and so I mean it is re- Fenway is corporate now I-, I think the fans who go to Fenway are very corporate now and that's fine I mean, like I don't that, that's fine. That's going to happen. Um, it is just a wildly different experience now, and not just owning up to being a kid. Yep. It is a wildly different experience now. When I was a kid, the guy who won't seat next to us would smoke a cigar the whole game. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> which, and that's not Red Sox. That's every, that's every stadium now. Correct. Um, but it is just, I, I think sports going in general is way more corporate than it had than it, than it was when we were younger. Yeah, for sure. It is it is a business going experience in a sense. No, you know? no question about it. And so I think that's why it's fun to talk to people you know who've been going to games for thirty five years. Andrew, any questions that I didn't get to, or any other things that you think somebody who either you know wants to know about the Red Sox or wants to come to Fenway as a road fan or just whatever that we haven't covered? Yeah, it's this. We all hate Sweet Caroline as much as you do. Exactly. <laughs> it is the goddamn worst. Please, please stop singing it at our games. It'll never happen. But most of us hate that song as much as you do. Yep, yep. It's terrible. I, we know. And it sucks when they sing it every game. We know. We're over it. Yes, we'd love it for end. We'd love it to end, too. We would love it to end. Well... What I, what, I, what I could talk about all day is the Red Sox, but we might as well end this podcast. But it's really good to, you know, again, I heard a few things from you that I didn't know about your own experiences, but also just, you know, 
just some things that I didn't know about, uh, you know, Fenway Park. Or I'm going to go back to the, the Mets lady rolling her hands. I was today years old when I learned about her. So this was enlightening for me, and I've been a Red Sox fan basically for as long as you have. So that's yeah. I mean, you. This is something that people. It's got to be out there in the Google machine somewhere. Um, you've uh, got to be able to do like Google '86 Mets World Series hands, and I'm sure something will come up. Phenomenal. Well, I love it. Well, Andrew, thanks for being on uh, Season Ticket Showcase. Season Zero, these are our kind of preseason episodes, but, you know, you're starting off with teams like the Red Sox. It's a really good place yeah. to start establishing a footing. So, hey, man, we appreciate you being on and stick around for a couple minutes. We'll catch up offline, but thanks again for being here. Uh, loved it. Loved it.